Hello and welcome to SAE Tomorrow Today. I am your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to have Tate McDonald, equity partner, Holland and Knight. On today's episode, Tate shared her wonderful thoughts and insights into the infrastructure bill with a strong emphasis on EV charging and the impact it will have on the United States. We hope you enjoy this episode. Tate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Grayson. I'm so excited to be here. We're super excited to have you here because the infrastructure bill was recently signed by the president in a typical government. It's hundreds of pages long, and you've got this incredible background on electric vehicles, so I can't wait for you to break it down and say, okay, this is really what's happening in the bill. So thank you for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, definitely. $5 billion has been allocated in the infrastructure bill to provide funding for states to deploy electric EV charging. How will this money be allocated and rolled out? Great question. And very timely because the first announcement after the first 90 days of the bill was just last week. So we are just that it was the first public announcement about the rollout of this funding. And for the impo- what's important to know about the rollout of the $5 billion is that it's formula funding. So it will be distributed to states in a formula manner. So the guidance that was released last week is actually the state level guidance. So it's the first set of guidance that essentially directs the states that are getting formula allocations about how they should be preparing to pursue this funding. So what's important about the first $5 billion is it's all going to be distributed at the state level and uh, based upon how much money is allocated to each state and each state's plan. Now in 180 days, so we have 90 more days, then we will get guidance and essentially standards that each charging company that applies for the funding and receives the funding will need to meet to get the funding. And the good news is a lot of, the, I, a lot of what we're going to cover today is actually going to be some of what's in those standards. How do states prepare? Do they submit a document to the federal government or how does the, the preparation work look? Yeah, so it's still it's still being determined, but the states are going to have to submit a plan for how they are going to the states it's going to go through the state's DOT and the states are going to have to prepare plans for their for their um for the distribution of the funding overall. Any chance we'll get electric vehicle charging on highways? Like a state can push for that? We will. We will. Yeah, it's funny because it's it's so hard because everything's moving. But the administration is doing a really good job staying on um, staying on timeline of the IIJA. So, however, even with staying on timeline of the infrastructure bill, which you'll uh, the acronym I'll use throughout is the IIJA. In D.C., we call it IIJA, or now it's called Bill a lot because it's the bi- bipartisan infrastructure law. So even staying on time with those timelines, it might still take two years for infrastructure to be in the ground. But the bottom line is this is a huge, I saw I, I saw a statement the other day that really resonated for me, and I think it'll resonate for listeners as well, is that the VW settlement, so the settlement for the diesel emissions for VW put $1.8 billion dollars of charging infrastructure in the ground across the U.S., and of course, that's in addition to what Tesla's put in with um, with their own funding and own financing. But the bottom line is that it, that's been the largest investment in vehicle infra- in um, EV infrastructure to date. 
And now we have $7.5 billion plus other programs that we'll talk about today. So it's really, really, really going to change the landscape of America. It's just going to take a little bit. Was the Dieselgate settlement, is that commonly referred to as Electrify America? Is that the is that the charging network that you're referring to? Generally, generally, yes, but it's yes, exactly. So the Electrify America is the entity, one of the entities that um, has done a lot of the electrification. And then and I'm, re- I re- I'm reading the bill and then the bill states that funding for operation and maintenance costs will be provided for five years. I'm thinking, uh oh, what happens in six years if a state house or state senate says, no, we don't want this anymore? What happens in year six? Does the federal government step in or does the private sector step in? Who steps in? So here's your first example about what will be included in the standards. <laughs> so, the, and right now there's a joint team between DOE and DOT that is working on developing these standards. So it's all the subject, it's basically a group of the subject matter experts across the federal government that specialize in all in EV charging. So they are working together with industry input. There is a request for information due at the end, um, due um, a, f- a few weeks back. So they are reading the hundreds and hundreds of comments that went into that, in addition to taking their own existing expertise, in addition to taking feedback they're getting from meetings with industry and developing a suite of standards that is going to be responsible for deployment and responsible for federal government funding, but also make sure the funding gets distributed quick enough and can get distributed broad enough. So it's a really tough job for the folks that are on that committee standard, that standards committee. But the intent, think of it this way, the best way And the standards aren't going to be perfect. I need to be clear about that. It's going to be an iterative process a few years. But the best way to think about it is think about it as like the first step to ensuring deployment in a way that's responsible and spends taxpayer dollars responsible, which for anybody who's ever worked in policy is the hardest, the biggest challenge associated with government policy. But there really is a dedicated suite of individuals working on this that um, we have some insights as to where those standards are going to land. But the bottom line is that, like, it really is a sophisticated and dedicated um, group of people working on this. So as much as we know it's not going to be perfect the first time, we know that we have a partner. We know that there are partners in the federal government that are really going to help get there. Public spending is a hot topic now. Inflation's 40-year high at 7.5%. And Alex Partners has published a research report saying that it's going to take an additional $50 billion to build out a complete EV charging system so consumers can use it at very similar to a gas station. How can that be achieved when there's pushback from the American public on spending? So the there's going to be there's spending from the IIJA or bill that has already gone through OMB analysis, treasury analysis about the impact it's going to have on the market. What is important to note about, especially for folks who aren't as close to the policy world, what's important to note about IIJA is it's really a critical step to catch up with the rest of the world and how the rest of the world is dealing with clean tech and EV deployment and the Paris Agreement, right, to make sure they can get to the Paris Agreement. So think about IIJA as the down payment that will that has been proven across other governments to essentially ampl- to, to enable 
private sector financing, which can't currently participate in these markets, to start to participate. And that's proven across across dozens upon dozens of industries over the past over 100 years in terms of government programs and need for government. And it's also now proven across other governments over the past 10 years. So we will get there, but it will be through private sector resources, um, not the government's portion is just the down payment. There's one example kind of looking at what Europe's doing in the EU with the massive push for electrification. Is that kind of, you want to use it a barometer or a model that's looked to be followed? Uh, So Europe did all of their um, as folks can probably tell, I'm a nerd when it comes to reviewing what happens at each time and what Europe did. So Europe did their recovery bill as an energy recovery bill it, immediately post-COVID. So Europe has actually been phenomenal for the U.S. because before that, it was just China. And of course, once you say the word China, there's all all sorts of other things. We won't go down that path. But the point is, is Europe did it. Europe learned from what was done by other governments and then um, essentially deployed infrastructure funding and um, clean technology funding in a similar manner to what Bill does. Not exact, but that's been that's actually been real. I think that's been really helpful for the federal government to prove that this is the model that they need to follow. Of course, this is just Tate McDonald's opinion, but um, the model that they need to follow and build confidence in our ability to do it. Confidence is key. Trust is everything. I'm, I'm reading a book on currencies and, and, and central banks now, and it's the trust is what enables currency to work. And so you look at the, the American public trust the government will provide the necessary to build out the EV network. So when they buy the EV, they trust that they can go there and plug it in, but there's still a percentage of the public that says, no, 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 I'm going to range anxiety. I'm going to get stranded somewhere. There's not going to be a charger. And you're seeing that in the numbers. Last year, 2021, over 800,000 hybrids were sold in the United States. If this network is not built out to where it needs to get, will hybrids fill the gap? A society works on lowering carbon emissions. So you have the consumer says, I want to help lower carbon emissions. I'm not sold on an EV. Do hybrids play a role in this future? I think I think yes to some degree. Like I have family members that will still only buy a hybrid. We and even when we bought a Tesla, we bought a Tesla because it was the best for it was the best vehicle for our family, but we were looking, we were not trying to buy a Tesla. I now realize how much easier it is to drive the Tesla because the Tesla charging network but I didn't even know it going into it, right? I just, we were getting an EV, even though we do not have at-home charging. So we're just a really good example of, like, I'm a first adopter that needed an EV without at-home charging. I have family that will still only do hybrids because of range anxiety. So I do think it's going to continue to be, I I think it's just going to continue to be an interim solution until these dollars get built out. Once these dollars are built out, and we're working on other things in the private sector, just these dollars being available is actually spurring the market in advance. So we're actually working on some debt solutions for charging companies as well, which will make them financeable. So it's not just what what's important to understand is that government dollars aren't about the government dollars. It's about the broader impact. If 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 done right, it's about the broader impact government dollars will have. And that's what we're hopeful on charging. And that's what we're seeing to date. You brought up the fascinating part with 
with Tesla with the charge network, I think that's their competitive advantage and it'll be their competitive advantage for a long time. And you also brought up debt solutions. That's interesting. You're seeing private sector financing around the world is ste stepping up to finance the hardware because it's it's an asset that can be collateralized. So that'll be interesting to see as that financing comes from Europe and Japan and expands into America and more banks start to under underwrite that. So I start thinking about this. Okay, so we're getting all the financial pieces together in, 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 to enable the scale. And I look at dense urban en environments or certain areas of the United States where there's a lot of multifamily dwellings and the landlord says, no, you're not putting an EV charging here. And if you want to use the word, there's the bank desert or EV charging desert. How do those families adapt to an EV charge? And they want to do it, but the landlord says, nope, not putting this in. There's not a charger readily available. What do they do? Yeah, it's a great question. So the landlords need to be incentivized in some cases, right? So what a... What is interesting in the market is that consumers are pushing it just as much as you almost need the perfect storm. Let's think of it that way, right? And what I'm seeing in the market over the past year is the perfect storm. So we don't know. It, every case is different. We don't know when it's going to be the landlord that moves first. We don't know when it's going to be the tenants that make the landlord move first. But what I do think is fascinating about what's happening in the market right now is it's moving fast enough and moving forward enough that there will be a solution for broader deployment. And I couldn't, I couldn't even say that. I couldn't, I would have never said that 18 months ago. I don't even think I would have said that a year, two years ago. I, I couldn't have said it two years ago. I don't even think I could have said it a year ago. I knew we were going to get here, but we are here now. There are enough solutions in the market. There's enough money in the market. Like, basically clean tech deployment over and including EVs has really been gap filling. Like clean tech is largely financeable, except you have a gap at the end of it that makes it too risky. And once you fill that gap with either government fu grant funding or a loan guarantee or just huge pots of confidence in the market, to your point, it makes it much easier to deploy more broadly. And that's really where I think we are. That's where I'm hopeful we are. It is a hopeful feature. If you look at the, the landlord-tenant relationship, it's a, Bloomberg's reported this, that rents are going up astronomically across the United States. Some of these landlords own them with cash, no mortgage. It'd be interesting if they reinvest in the property. One, one can only hope that they're going to have more cash with a potentially invest and incentivize. I'm going to raise your rent by 15%, but I'm going to put an EV charger in there. The, the landlords will have more money to play with. And utilities are incentivized too to deploy EV charging as far because utilities want to sell electrons. So there's a lot of incentivized parties. It's just a matter of who's incentivized by what, where, I think is what it comes down to. No, it's, it's a it's a really good point because you, you are you have to incentivize consumers. And then you, you have these reports where it's been widely stated 30% of all US EV chargers are offline not working today. So you incentivize somebody to do it. What if they don't maintain it? They don't put a service contract in it. Just kind of lets it it sits there and and grows dust. What happens then? Oh, don't get me started on this. Um, this <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. This, um, as someone who spent their has spent their life and will spend their career and essentially it'll be my legacy to work on government funding to overcome the adoption of clean tech more broadly. At the end of the day, we have to spend taxpayer dollars responsibly. It's critical. And deploying chargers in a manner that do not have ongoing O&M 
is not responsible deployment of taxpayer dollars. So there, like one of the things that's being discussed right now a lot is reliability, right? And you guys know this at SAE as well. Um, I am hopeful for the reliability standards um, for, for two reasons. Number one, to ensure we don't have stranded assets with government waste. But number two, also to make sure that we don't, it, it also impacts range anxiety. So the bottom line is this is a critical component of charging deployment. The reliability is a critical component of charging deployment but it, and the ongoing O&M. But the bottom line is just that it's, it might be one of those things that's not perfect for the first year, right? Hopefully it will be. And hopefully everybody's ahead of it enough, but it's still, it's still TBD. The final result for the first year still is TBD. Now, after the first year, remember this is five-year funding. I think we're going to be fine. I think this is one of the things that will get worked out, but it's just a really hard conundrum. How much of this can be crowdsourced? Because there's the charger apps that tell you which charger online. You read some of those comments. I'll just use the word not pretty. So you're getting data with a not pretty comment that this charger has been offline for an extended period of time. Can that, I guess, you, can it be crowdsourced with a, and then into some machine learning and they can say, okay, this charger, boom, 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 and then deploy resources to fix those since it's, it's known? They're going to have to. Something's going to have to be done to make sure this information is, and there's reliability, right, overall. So it's not it's not just usage and uptime, and this is why it's so hard. You have to look at usage, uptime, where you put everything. And then you need to make sure once you get to a charging bank, there's a charger that works. And what you're getting through your car is accurate. So the bottom line is just that th- that's why in my, from what I've seen in the market, of course, I don't see everything, but um, we do, we did lead 14 charging companies and commenting to the RFI um, and were involved in those discussions over the past six months, which have been fascinating. So the bottom line is just that um, a lot of this remains to be seen, but the important part in D.C., I always like to say we have knowns and unknowns, right? This is definitely in the unknown bucket. But what we know is that there's a lot of focus on it. And that's without the focus, you can't move it to a good known, to a productive known. So there's a lot of focus on it. And that's what matters. Is there an uptime and service guarantee in the bill? It's not in the bill. There will be standards because you can't legislate everything, right? So it will be in the standards. Is that where the, the private sector steps in? Because Matt Stover, Ford's director of charging and energy services, he's been publicly quoted saying someone needs to take a leadership role because he's saying it's having negative, as, the, as Ford sells more Mach-E's, it's having a negative impact when they go to, let's say, Acme Charger or Acme Charger 2. They can't charge it. They're not blaming Acme charging companies. They're blaming Ford. And he said they're just getting bombarded with, with stuff. So is that step where Ford actually goes out and builds their own Ford branded network and say, okay, Ford will guarantee you uptime of 99.9%? You're hitting all the important issues. We're hitting all the important (laughs) issues today, huh? (laughs) The bottom line is that, think of it this way, and this is, of course, I can't comment on a lot of what, some of what I'm seeing and hearing, but big institutional players, not necessarily the Fords, are starting to step up because they see this as a business opportunity too. Because remember, when you're charging, it's about your experience. When you are charging your car, it's all about your experience that you have, like 
since we got an EV, we've actually, because it was COVID, we've tri- we've taken more um, road trips than I had in a ICE over the past five years. And one of the things I understand better than, more than you can know is with children, the experience you have while you're charging your car, right? And the bottom line is that there is a lot of value. And if you look at um, like gas stations, how much they make from food and beverages, Versus and how, versus how much they make from gas, there is a lot of value in what consumers spend while they are charging their car. So that's where I think, like, again, all of this in clean tech as a whole and in EVs, we have these gaps. And the bottom line is, entities will come in, bigger entities will take risk when the gap becomes smaller. So and then when we see a landscape changing, right? So institutional, I don't. I don't know who it's going to be, but I do think a lot of institutional players are going to step up to make sure that they're, in addition to the government stepping up, to make sure that there's a reliable charging network across the U.S. Could some of those large institutional corporations be Shell? They're in Europe. They're exploring. I'll use the word exploring um, EV charging. BP is is slowly exploring. These are public investments. They're they're publicly talking about them. So does the oil majors or does or the Chevron with leverage their balance sheet and say, okay, we're going to try this very similar where Shell had the whole hydrogen play throughout Southern California. Does one of these say, okay, we're going to pick a market of a high concentration of EV owners and we're going to complement all of our gas stations with, let's call it Shell branded EV charging. Is that something that you see possibly expanding as they smell opportunity to diversify away from their traditional uh, exploration and, 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 and refining of oil? All of the oil majors are moving into diversification of assets, right? And oil and natural gas aren't going away tomorrow. It's just a matter of how you decrease carbon associated with um, associated with usage while we go through this enormous energy transition that, of course, I think this because this is what I'm spending my life doing, but that will probably be one of the biggest transitions of our lifetime. Um, uh, because, of course, we were younger when technology transition happened, right? Now we have this astronomical worldwide energy transition occurring. And the bottom line is, so all of the, and it's all public everywhere, all of the oil companies are making different investments, some in charging, like you mentioned, Shell and BP, some not in charging. What occurs with each of those is still very TBD if that makes sense. So um, what I can say publicly is there is a lot going on behind the scenes and a lot of companies trying to figure out what works best for their company. And that's what, I just think the leadership from institutional players, it could be oil company, it could be an OEM, it it, it could be a new company, there are so many SPACs out there and really innovative technology that's actually taking hold. Um, between the institutional players um, transitioning and the innovation and the funding in the market, where it's it's going to be there's going to be solutions that I truly believe will be will build confidence in the market as a whole. And I'm happy the oil majors moving in. And I'm going to go way back in history in the wayback machine. I think it might have been in the 70s or the 80s. Exxon went into the copier business when when there was the everybody had, and that made no sense. But Exxon going into the EV charging business makes a lot more sense as strategic to their long term plan. So, 
happy to hear that. So we, we're talking a lot about EV charging, and then you you turn on Bloomberg, you read open the Financial Times or the Wall Street Journal. At least once a week, there's a mention of recycling or the circular economy. Perhaps it's the boxes from Amazon that come to your house. Eventually, how are they going to be recycled? All these chargers are going in, in the ground in all 50 states across the United States. And I'm thinking, wait a second, how are these all going to be recycled? There's a lot of parts in there. Are there plans as the as the EV infrastructure kind of nears end of life to recycle and reuse? That's definitely in the unknown bucket. Now, there are plans in um, now a bigger issue is the recycling of batteries, right? And there are plans in the infrastructure bill for the recycling of the batteries. So the so without a doubt, there. So we're, we got to walk before we run. Right. And that's always the case with any transition and especially with the federal government. So the recycling of battery batteries is really going to be the first thing that the federal government be, takes a more hands on approach with recycling of charging stations, I think, will fall more on the corporate entities because they're just that's more of just a standard, just like if like, what do you do with gas pump at the end of its useful life? Right. So I think it will fall more but on the in the hands of the entities deploying the chargers and the entities who own the chargers, which is key, we don't know. That's one thing we definitely don't know. Well, eventually, we'll find out. There's no doubt. Eventually, we'll find out. Yeah, we have we'll to find, find out. out. So <laughs> they're doing the great thing. They're allocating towards battery recycling, which is, I'll use the word, it's a maturing industry Industry uh, globally. You're, you're seeing movements in Europe. You're seeing movements here um, in, in Nevada with Redwood Materials. But there was very little money allocated towards the refining of minerals. And then by very little, I mean 140 million in government money. That's not a lot. With roughly 90% of raw earth materials being refined in China, why was there not more money allocated to refining minerals in the United States to help you can make the domestic security argument, national security argument? If we're going to start mining for lithium and salt and sea in California, there's plans to mine for lithium in northern Nevada. We have to have refining. Refining is what built Standard Oil. At the end of the day, that wasn't outsourced to China. It was built in America. Why can't we refine minerals in America? Another one of my favorite questions that I could talk all day about. <laughs> um, so, so we worked on a lot of the drafting and the law. Like, there's there are instances where we lobby and there are instances where we don't. About three, where my team doesn't. Of course, the um, holiday night has one of the bit. Um, best lobbying practices in town as a whole. Um, and it's why I came to Holland tonight, actually, because I knew we would end up in this place reading the tea leaves. But the bottom line and the quick answer is this is, I started doing this 15 years ago with Rare Earths. And three years ago, we picked it back up because we realized we could get somewhere on the topic. It's not going to be perfect. So there's there's actually... On the refining and the material processing, there is actually another $3 billion in the battery and material grant. So if you look at it just from a processing and materials, there's actually a very a large chunk of money for that. But you're right, the rare earths is only $140 million. And then you have a few other buckets. What the administration is doing right now is they, t they have a 100-day supply chain report. Um, that essentially has recommendations for the administration to move forward with. And those recommendations to fill the remaining gaps are all being looked at to how essentially 
to make it a comprehensive picture. Because there are some things that, and this is what I, I probably find most fascinating about my job at the end of the day, there are some things that have to go through Congress, and there are some things that can be done with the executive branch and the president. And there's actually a lot, and this all started during Trump. This is not just a Biden administration. All the supply chain reevaluation began the last two years of Trump. There was significant focus on it. So this is very bipartisan, but the bottom line is you have a you have some funding in the bill and then you have the supply chain recommendations. The other thing that we have is the DOE loan program with $40 billion in it. So there are way more tools than what you're seeing just in the grant money is the short answer. That's a positive. The one issue that's not talked about enough for me is that if we're going to do mining is as a dirty industry, it gives off a lot of carbon is that if we're going to mine and refine the minerals, it has to be done with renewable energy and a focus on the environment. So I'd like to see more of a, a focus on that because if we can sustainably mine the minerals, sustainably refine the minerals and recycle them, we have a, a, a low carbon Im- impact in a, in a beautiful circular economy. So hopefully through these investments, we, we can eventually get there because it benefits every member of society. And don't forget new technology too. Like there's a lot of new technology that replaces the need. Like we have rare earth replacement technology that we're working on. It's it's probably one of my earliest stage companies, but then we have then we have material replacement technology with materials that are more abundant. So we're gonna see a few solutions that aren't necessarily just mining, but that does not mean that we don't need the mining question addressed. And the that question is a great follow-up because that's something that we still just need to see play out at, um, a bit more. Well, how about this? When the, when the issue is more thoroughly addressed and fleshed out around money, we'd love to have you back on just to have a whole conversation around the, the carbon-friendly way of refining minerals going into batteries. So we'd love to have you back to discuss that. Yeah, and I'm no mining expert, uh, clearly, but the impact that those decisions will have on the marketing, I'd love, and the market and these gaps in the market, of course, is what I can speak about all day long. And I would love to speak about that. Awesome. That sounds fantastic. And Tate, as we look to wrap up this extremely insightful conversation where we touched just this, the scratch of the surface of the benefits of the infrastructure bill as it relates to electric vehicles, what would you like the listeners to take away with them? I think the best thing, it's taken a long time for the U.S. to get here. This is a challenging market. This is a controversial market sometimes. But the bottom line is that we are at, at we are really at a turning point. I mean, you could go and call it a tipping point. Um, of consumer adoption and broader deployment that is really exciting for our next generation too. So, I mean, I know it's something that is really exciting for my kids for so many different reasons from an American, I really, I think most people think of this just as climate, but what's most important right now is you think about it from American innovation too, and how exciting all of this is for American innovation. So I would leave with just, we're at a tipping point it's not just about climate, it's about American leader, innovation and leadership as well. And that's what makes it truly exciting. And as a society, we're clearly shifting towards electrification. Because today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today, and the future is electric. Tate, thank you so much for coming on SAE tomorrow today. Thank you, so nice to do this. 
Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week when we're joined by the president and CEO and the curator of transportation, the Henry Ford, as we look to the past to embrace the future of American innovation. Join us for this insightful conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.